0: He's got me walking that grief walk. Going slow, Mo. He's got me talking that grief talk. Going slow, Mo. He's got me clocking doing It's the Miami Night Show. Hey, yeah. Slow, Mo. He's got me me walking that grief walk. Going slow, Mo. He's got me talking that grief talk. Going slow, Mo. He's got me clocking doing it. What up, tribe? It's Miami Night Show, Master Grief Coach. Welcome to the Miami Night Show. He got me walking that grief walk. It's time for grief talk, y'all. It's Smiley Night a Master coach. Sheldon Ferdick was a hard working, loving husband and father, and an active participant in his community, until his life was cut short at the age of 47 by a holdup in his family store. With his wife Ruth critically injured during the robbery, their 17 year old son Howie Ferdick was responsible for telling their two little sisters that their father had just been killed. He took a leave of absence from his freshman year at college to work at the store full-time and his first job was to mop up the blood from where his father's life had been taken after graduating college he became a freelance illustrator and an art teacher working with emotional handicap boys whose parents had lost custody due to abuse and neglect reading their case studies Howie came to understand how giving the environment these children grew up in and the challenges they faced Gun violence was a very possible consequence, and with the terrible loss of their husband and father, the interrelationships between Howie and his family suffered greatly as well. It wasn't until he attended his first Moms Demand Action meeting and he heard his first gun violence survivor story. 42 years after Sheldon was killed that he realized his family's dysfunction wasn't because of who they were as people, but rather was an effect on how gun violence had impacted the Furtick family. That night, Howie joined Moms Demand Action and identified as a gun violence survivor. Holly has also honored his father on the Moms Demand Action Moments That Survive website. Currently, Holly serves as a gun violence survivor lead for a Passaic, New Jersey Moms Demand Action chapter, reaching out to other gun violence survivors so they are not alone in dealing with their loss and making them aware of various services and opportunities available to them to take the memory of their loved one and use it to help ensure that others don't have to go through the same terrible loss. Let's welcome him. Welcome back, Grief Nation listeners. Today on our show, we have a very, very special guest, and I'm so excited that he's here. Um, this is also pertaining to the Everytown Survivor Network edition with Howie Fertig. How are you, Howie?
1: I am doing very well, Miami. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: Thank you so much. We're going to dive right in um, and talk about your journey. And just tell me, how did you become a homicide survivor?
1: Well, on Saturday morning, October 23rd, 1976, my father, Sheldon Furtig, was killed and my mother was critically injured in a holdup at our family store. Um, I was a 17 year old college freshman. Uh, it was the first Saturday that I had taken off from this store and a long time I was visiting a friend who was starting college out of town. And uh, I came home that day. I had to tell my 10-year-old and 14-year-old sisters that our father had just been killed that morning and our mother was hospitalized. Uh, With the help of family and friends, we buried my dad. I took a leave of absence from college. I went to work full-time in our family store. And the first order of business was mopping up my father's dried blood from where he was killed 10 days prior
0: wow to be so young and have to you know take on those responsibilities and, and um also with your mother also being injured that had to take you know that had to be a such a toll on you and your siblings um how did your siblings um because they were younger right you were saying yeah, they, that they were younger 14, how did they process um... that
1: um Uh, to be candid with you uh based on the shock that i felt you know i don't have specific memories as to how they processed it aside from the impact it had on me a 17 year old you know kid and and our family and how it really impacted you know our nuclear family really um it, it was just surreal for all of us
0: yeah yeah wow that's that Taking on, it sounds like that. If I heard you correctly, um, just some of the things that you had to do. Like the first thing you were saying that you had to go and mop up, you know, your father's blood, and um, your mother's in the hospital. That had to be just devastating. I'm, I'm sure, um, even though um, your father passed in such a tra- you know traumatic way. Can you please share with us who he was and who he still is to you?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um... So my uh, father, Sheldon Fertig, his friends called him Shelley. he was born and bred in Brooklyn, New York, you know, before everybody, uh, if you wore a beard and uh, you had a flannel shirt on in Brooklyn, then you were like a lumberjack who was lost <laughs> from me. You know? um, so he was, you know, pure New Yorker, um, the son of uh, Jewish immigrants from Eastern Europe, fleeing Eastern Europe and what was going on there in the pogroms. Um, and he... Uh, served in the army of occupation in korea Uh, when i was a little kid we called him the ice cream man because he sold uh five gallon drums of our favorite dessert to you know restaurants and um, institutions back then and uh he uh, was a big guy and uh he would come home and uh he would I remember him singing in the shower. You know, there were five of us living in this little two-bedroom. He used to love to sing, especially the song The Impossible Dream Aww. from the musical Man of La Mancha. If you don't know it, it's a story about doing the right thing, you know, no matter what the cost, no matter who you are. Mm. He also served as the uh, president of our synagogue in Hollis, Queens. Um, and he was sworn in by one of our first women congressmen, Bella Abzug, in the mid-70s. And my mom, my little sisters and I were real, real proud of my dad. Um, and, and I look just like him. Um, so when I think of my dad now, we weren't uh, close when I was uh, in high school before he was killed. I was just flexing my muscles as the firstborn son. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, he just wanted me to work in the store with him on weekends and, and after school, they had saved up enough money to buy this store, uh, when I was about 14 years old. And, um, you know, there was a lot of issues that weren't closed when my father was killed. But as I walked a mile in his shoes, working in the store, becoming a, a husband and a father, mm-hmm. it really gave me an appreciation over time for, for the fact he was trying to do the best he could, even when we weren't getting along. And I feel him with me every day. Yeah. Um, and I'm thankful that I have that presence,
0: yeah. his presence with me. Absolutely. Um, can you sp- explain more of the complexities along your journey and how you move through each um, stage of grief during that time?
1: Yeah, so sure. As I said, when it occurred, it was just surreal. It's like somebody picked me up and put me in an alternate universe. Um, just put me in a universe where I was expected to be my father. Um, I was expected to take over his role, not only in the store, but in the family, in the, with the family unit as well, our nuclear family. My mom didn't drive. You know, she got out of the hospital, I don't know, maybe three or four months later, and she went back to work full-time in the store, and, um, you know, I, I helped her. You know, I would drop her off. I would go to college in Brooklyn at Pratt Institute, and I'd come back and help her close up the store and work weekends. And our two younger sis- my two younger sisters expected me to act as father as well. They expected me to drive them wherever they needed to be, and to, to help. But when they had frustrations with our mother, you know, they came to me as well. Um, so I just got, um, that's not who I, that's not the life path that I saw for myself then. And even in popular culture, there was a song in the mid-70s, I know I'm dating myself, called Patches by Clarence Carter. And it was about this kid growing up in the farm and his father passing when he was young and he had to take care of the family and go to school and all of that. And I just felt um, angry and resentful um, about being put in that position. Um, And uh, so I just, frankly, I I just got, I smoked pot, you know, uh, that first year after my father was killed, probably every day. Um, And I went through the motions, you know, I just, uh, I felt helpless over time, you know, as as this became normal. So that's kind of, you know. What was going on right then
0: Mm -hmm. so who was your support system at the time
1: yeah you know that's a great question so for me it did not come from within my family um it came from adults that i would engage with at different parts of my life that were meaningful to me so when i was in high school before and after my father was killed i was very involved in a youth organization called the bene brith youth organization bbyo that's still around today And um, I was involved both in our chapter, which was based out of our synagogue in Hollis, Queens, the Holliswood Jewelry Center. And then over time on a regional basis throughout the Queens, Brooklyn region as a vice president of programming. And the uh, man who was the regional director for it, a guy named Barry Rosenberg, um, was there as a mentor and as a father figure to me as a teen. And then when I went to college at Pratt, um, I majored in communication design and did some illustration. And I minored in art education and the, uh, the head of the art education department, a woman named Amy Snyder, rest in peace. She was a mentor to me then. They validated who I was. They were life-affirming people. Uh, they knew my story. And, um, you know, they were there to listen to me and provide emotional support if I needed it as well. And they really were those, you know, almost father and mother you know, figures for me. It, 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 which I didn't have and wasn't necessarily getting through no through no fault of my mom, yeah. you know, but she just wasn't able to provide it for me at that point. In time.
0: Right, yeah. And and that that happens when we are all when you know, when a family is definitely struck by uh tragedy, um, such as, you know, the incident that happened with your father or, you know, any incident, um, dealing especially with uh, the the um, traumatic piece of it we don't know how to um help ourselves um you know even trying to help our children i know i didn't initially i just didn't know i was like you said earlier you're in this world that you never knew existed and you're trying to you know keep your grounding in that and then you have all these new responsibilities like you said for yourself you did at at such a young age and you know but i'm proud to hear that your mother um when you said earlier your mother went back to the store and start working so um, I know that kind of you know it didn't bring of course your father back, but it's good to hear that your mother still went back um, to that same place that you know um, took her 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 life as she had known it um, away from her, but she continued on, and um, that's just resiliency um, even in that story, hearing that your mother continued on i was I was happy to hear that you said that your mother did that. Yeah, and if I can
1: add about my mother just for a second, uh, because I think it's applicable. So my mom was 5'2". I'm 6'3", right? My mom was 5'2", but she was the strongest person I ever knew. When she was um, at a high school, she was very intelligent, but instead of going to college, her parents, immigrant parents, had like a white goods store, it was called. You know, they sold you know, cloths and linens and all sorts of stuff for the house in the Bronx. And she worked in her parents' store um, after she graduated high school, which kind of led to probably why she expected me to play a certain role. So she was always there for her family. She had stage four cancer later in her life. Um, Just a quick example. We would celebrate the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, where you're not depending, we're not very religious, but it's all relative, right? Mm -hmm. We lived in a five-story apartment building Uh, when I was married and she was in her late 60s. She would walk a mile and a half to and from the synagogue and she would walk up five flights of stairs, you know, with with the stage four cancer. Mm -hmm. So she was um, she's just incredibly strong woman in a lot of respects.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's important. Um, Just throughout this whole survivor um, process and you know how we have turned our lives around, it's important to share those details about, you know, everyone in our family and, and just letting know, um, you know, when we have interviews, I think a lot of them is very tailored to, you know, the word that we're trying to get out. But just that story, you don't know who um, needed to hear that. So I just really appreciate you sharing that. Um, So how did you begin to accept some of the circumstances surrounding your father's tragic loss?
1: Yeah, so you can't make this up. So fast forward to my mid-twenties. I'm a, an art teacher uh, working with kids in the Bronx, New York by day, a freelance illustrator on nights and weekends, and uh, I took a vacation during the summer with my girlfriend at the time, and uh, we happened to be in Disneyland, and I happened to be arrested for possession of, uh, of drugs. Um, you know, they say that Disneyland is the happiest place on Earth, but I guess I took that the wrong way. So, uh, as part of the, uh, of, uh, I went through a rehab program. You know, it was my first and only um, arrest, and I was given the opportunity to go through a probationary program, which included a drug rehab program. And uh, that, um, the, social, uh, uh, the social worker who I work with there, uh, you know, I credit her with really saving my life. Um, not necessarily literally I don't want to you know um, you know take that lightly but emotionally I wouldn't be the person I am today married for 33 and a half years and with two grown sons who are unbelievable people and the great bride if it wasn't going through that um, that therapy and in addition to really the drug piece of it, it was really more about the dysfunction that I felt and my family went through um, based on my father's loss. it took a while to get down to that but that's really what it was about including, being angry at my dad for leaving me, which is a very selfish thing to say and to hear, but to go through that emotion, you know, that was there. Um, And it really, you know, it did so much. And I know you're focused on grief counseling, Miami, and, you know, really going through that with, uh, with, with someone who is an expert at it as well, you know, like yourself, really meant the world to me. When it occurred, when my father was killed in 1976, Counseling wasn't something that was looked upon positively in our culture. and I think in many cultures, you know If you went to a a therapist you were crazy Mm -hmm. Quote-unquote right and you know to this day uh, On an annual basis I call my therapist who's now retired and I thank her for for saving my life.
0: Yeah Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much Um, Do you still have grieving pains and also? (laughs) Do you still become emotional sometimes when you share your story? And what emotions arise um, when you hear of another senseless shooting?
1: Yeah, well, first let me say that I am the type of guy that cries at supermarket openings, right? So, you know, <laughs> you may be able to hear now or see, you know, that I, I'm tearing up and stuff and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, so I find that I still grieve that it's part of me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I typically find after I share my story like I am now or when I'm meeting with other survivors, um, which I guess is something we'll get into in terms of Moms Demand Action, but being with looking at other people's eyes who've gone through what I've gone through, I didn't really have that experience until I joined Moms about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And what it feels like uh, often is an emptiness inside, like a hollowness inside, like uh the sound of wind mm-hmm. whistling, you know, in a desert with tumbleweeds going across. Um, like a needless emptiness is, is what it kind of feels like to me, um, and I find when I'm telling my story, and I've done it, you know, 10 times now within the last year, mm-hmm. what typically it didn't happen in the beginning of this call, um, but um, I think that's because of your coming presence. But
2: uh, oh, Thank you.
1: But typically, I crack my voice cracks when I say my father was killed, and I have to stop, take a beat, and breathe,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and just compose myself again. Um, so, you know, that's typically what happens when I share my story. And when when I hear of other senseless shootings that are going on every day in our country, um, first I get angry like I just grit my teeth and uh, I'm not going to use the words now that you can imagine I would say inside my head
2: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: and then I feel a call to action, you know, and that's really the energy to reach out to uh, our legislators, my councilmen, uh, you know, the, the senators, the governor uh, to, to post uh, on the different outlets that I use to reach out to my family, my friends, my colleagues on social media. Mm-hmm. and um uh, you know to do so in a constructive way yeah you yeah. know um, yeah but it's all about solving for this
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: i i truly believe that you know um we were chosen to do this um it's not easy at all um you're absolutely right some days i'm perfectly um well with sharing the story um i think what I've learned along this journey um not that I'm constantly hearing it, hearing it, hearing it, it bothers me. It's just, like you said, when there's another senseless shooting, it makes me really angry, but I don't think I would, I would probably still, of course, be angry, but it had I not experienced the loss through gun violence the way that I have, I don't think that I would act, as you say, um, you know, and, and as we do as mm-hmm. being a part of Moms Demand Action and also every Um I think that kind of just pushes us or, um, some type of type of um, awareness that comes alive in us that's like, you know, I'm just not listening at this. I'm going to do something about it. So I feel that, you know, even though we've had these traumatic losses that we are definitely, we were definitely chosen to be the ones out of our families that are saying, you know, enough is enough. Something has to change. Can yep. you provide some of the statistical information um, surrounding gun violence to share with the audience?
1: Sure. Well, you know, what first comes to mind is, and this isn't, you know, data that, you know, you always hear this term fake news now. So this is coming from NIH, National Institute of Health, and the CDC, right? And over the last four or five years, they um, have um, studied this, and uh, approximately 100 people, I believe the number is 96 specifically, Mm -hmm. are killed in our United States of America by gun violence every day, on average. We hear about these mass shootings, right? But they, frankly, account for a very small percentage of of the total deaths, which doesn't make them any less worse, right? Every loss is, is, is every loss. Any loss is every loss. Mm-hmm. But 61% of gun violence um, deaths are people taking their own life, right? Um, the vast majority aside from that are occurring in communities that, you know, would be considered often lower socioeconomic neighborhoods to people of color as well. And there are specific hotspots within the country where that is, you know, dramatically even higher. And the other statistic that I think is compelling right now in the midst of COVID-19 global epidemic is that in the month of March of 2020, there were 3.7 million requests uh, for background checks for, for gun purchases which far exceeds the number of those requests in any other previous month since this data has been collected. Wow. So, um, for people who are analytical, I mean, that's, it's just unfathomable that that's occurring in this country.
0: Yes. Ooh. Um, gosh, I just got to sit there for a second. That's, um, I didn't know that. Um, So thank you for sharing that statistic um, with us. Um, mm-hmm. You've talked on and off about the nuclear family. What is its dysfunctions?
1: Yeah. So I could just speak to this from a personal perspective. And, and can I say here that, um, well, the dysfunctions are as follows. So in our case, family of five, my father's killed. So, you know, there's a vacuum in that unit, you know, you've got, A major provider both my families provided both of my parents provided in different ways isn't all you know nuclear parent families that have two parents right Mm -hmm. but one of the major providers was gone poof there's just a hole there right it's like a black hole and the rest of us expect each other to jump in and 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 fill that role right just innately um and of course you can't do that you know it's, it's just not possible my mother didn't have a husband there were certain needs that she had that couldn't be met. He was a primary financial provider. You know, my mom helped out of the store, but my father ran the store and um, she couldn't do it all by herself. So there was a loss of, 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 of some revenue, you know, and concern about that. My sisters didn't have a father. I didn't have a father. So you get frustrated, you get angry. So who are you going to take it out on? Who's going to listen to that? Yeah. No one outside of the nuclear family, no one wants to hear this stuff, right? So you take it out on each other. And it just, it blew our family apart. And the thing that was most amazing to me, and why I'm here talking to you, if there was any one reason why I am today, is because I went to my first Moms Demand Action Meeting, the end of February 2018. And that first meeting, the programming, was a survivor telling her story. And her story was how her father was killed when she was a teenager he was uh, killed by her older sister's boyfriend after she broke up with him okay so that story that I heard she really what resonated was how it broke up her family
2: Mm -hmm.
1: in the same way and when she shared that I felt like there's another song I'm really into music uh, from back in the day called uh, by by Roberta Flack with Donny Hathaway, you know, telling uh, m- my, my story with his song, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Telling My Life With His Words, if you know yeah, that yeah. song. Yes. That song is what I heard in my head. You know, she told my story. Mm-hmm. And until that moment, I thought that the reason my family was dysfunctional was because of who we were as people. Yeah. And in that moment, I realized that we were dysfunctional because of what happened to us. Hmm. I went 42 years, 42 years from the age of 17 to the age of 59 thinking one way Yeah, and it, having that hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, I knew that's what I knew I had to get involved in this.
0: Yeah. Talk to me about your chapter uh, with moms. Uh, where are, where's your chapter share, you know, more details about what you guys are doing, um, you know, and, How did you even find out about Moms? Let's talk about that, start there.
1: Sure. My bride uh, saw a Facebook post by a friend of hers, a friend of ours, who had gotten involved in our local Moms chapter after the Parkland shooting. Mm -hmm. And that was when the chapter started. So it's a relatively new chapter. It's only been around for maybe, I don't know, two years or so, maybe a little more. so it's not very evolved and sophisticated no disrespect to the chapter members and what everybody's trying to do but as i've gotten involved in mobs you'll see different levels of maturity among yes yeah,
0: absolutely people. i agree
1: you know so with us i just went to that meeting because carol said you know let's check this out we were familiar with every town we had donated to every town but we really weren't that familiar with moms at that point in time so we went that scenario happened and that's how We got started. So, the way that we look at it is through three sort of different uh, parallel funnels, if you will. It's all about providing information, providing education, and advocating for legislation. All right. So, in terms of uh, the information, we utilize social media to a great extent. Mm -hmm. And um, (laughs) the uh, professionals that At every town and moms have been incredibly helpful and are gifted in all of the respects that 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 help support us so um, we provide information Uh, we're in Passaic County New Jersey it's northern New Jersey the city of Patterson is one of the uh, 12 or 13 cities Mm -hmm. in uh, Passaic County and there's um, you know an inordinate amount of gun violence that occurs in Patterson to about five miles from where we are in Wayne, New Jersey, for instance. So, whenever there's um, an unfortunate event that occurs related to gun violence, we will post and we'll provide information and uh, you know links where they can get even more information. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in terms of education, we deliver the Be Smart program, uh, which, if those of you who aren't familiar with, it's really geared at um, helping families, helping you know kids, parents, uh, you know. Be able to provide safe environments uh, for guns, so that you reduce, if not eliminate, you know, uh, the unnecessary gun violence that occurs by not having, um, you know, safe, uh, you know, gun storage, among other things.
2: Yeah.
1: I tell my survivor story at different events and programs as well uh, to help educate and motivate people to join us, and then we advocate. Uh, you know, we have legislation leads that. Uh, go to Trenton, New Jersey, um, when there is a bill to be uh, passed and on different specific days when we advocate. And we also, and Moms is great at providing uh, information that enables us to all contact our legislators and share with them either, you know, what needs to be done, and in New Jersey, thankfully, because in this particular state, the gun laws are pretty good, thanking our legislators for their great work in that regard, because that's just as important, mm-hmm. right? To, to, yes. To, to thank and to stay in communication with the legislators on the state, you know, municipal and local levels as well.
0: Yeah, uh, it's very important to to build those partnerships, you know, with them, and 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 um, actually just stopping by sometime to give them a note to say, you know, thank you. We're, you know, we're we we really want to connect with them more um, on the issues that we have, and and like you said, you know, every town and, and Moms Demand Action has done great um, things to uh, provide us with things uh, what best you know best practices of what to say and how to approach them. So I really truly appreciate every training and you know everything that we have that um, they both provide for us, so that um, it can help strengthen us as a unit um, to know you know, how to get out here and be able to make a difference. So thank you so much um, for sharing that. Um, I used to work in Kenilworth, New Jersey for some time. Oh. So I'm, I'm very familiar with Patterson. Yeah. So um, I got to
1: just say I got to because if you're in New Jersey and you're talking about locations, you have to associate it with an exit on a highway. So may um, I just say that's exit 138 up. You got it? Uh.
0: 148? Yeah. Yeah. But you know what I used to, what I used to remember um, yeah. going cause I was traveling, I was traveling from, um, Believe it or not, Queens, New York, every day to work in Kittlesworth. But I was driving because I'm I'm from the South. I don't get on trains and all this kind of stuff. (laughs) So I drove every day. But I do remember always passing or saying... Route 66 and I used to <laughs> I used to always be so excited is, is this it is this the actual Route 66 that I used to hear about all the time but yeah yeah I used Earth to work coast. in New, York, New Jersey I used to work Great. for um, um, Basketball Hall of Famer Earl Monroe and he had a he had Pearl a, yeah yeah he Pearl. had a construction company there um, and also a studio so um, that's part of my musical background I was uh, assigned to his record label so that was uh, wow. why I drove there every day to work fantastic. there
2: fantastic love yeah. the Pearl well,
0: yes, he's amazing. He's still yes. amazing. I talk to him still often. That's great. Um, so let's see where we are. Um, we've talked about your chapter and what you guys are doing, of course, to help in this public health crisis. Yep. Um, let's talk about some um, self-care that um, mm-hmm. you have done or the things that you do to continue on in this work.
1: Yeah, so this is great. You know, one of the things that I found with this, I don't know about you, is that we all find our way. You know, and it comes together over time. So in terms of self-care, the two things that I do are I meditate and I run. And it wasn't like um, this formal process where I said, okay, so I am feeling grief. What am I going to do to take care of myself? Wasn't like that at all. When I was uh, at Pratt Institute in, in Brooklyn, New York, the marathon, the New York City marathon back in 1980 went right by where I lived. And I watched that and seeing all manner of human being, age, size, shape, disability, run by you, the block before a high school band would play the theme from Rocky. So when they got to me, everybody was, you know, exalting, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was amazing. And I knew I had to do that, so I started running. And I run incredibly slow, but I run 15 to 20 miles a week and I've just been doing it ever since. Then, about five years ago, um, I was listening to an interview with Jerry Seinfeld. And he talked about how he started taking TM, Transcendental Meditation, in college. And it's something that, you know, always kind of, I found mystical, but interesting. Yeah. And my my bride and I decided to uh, take a course uh, locally in TM. And uh, since then I've been doing it about 10 times a week for 20 minutes at a time. You know, I just sit in a quiet spot and I get into a zone more often than not. And it's just that break in the day to check in with yourself and to um, to just allow yourself to be, if you will, you know, without anything on your mind. And I find it such an efficient way to kind of clear my mind and re-energize myself and center myself. And there are great benefits to it, uh, statistical data shows. So that's what I do. I meditate and I run. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm thankful that I have both of those things in my life.
0: Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Those are... Two of the um, seven keys of my grief guide that um, when I uh, became an author, those were two of the things that um, I an, I had to share that supported me. So I'm glad to hear that, it, you know, those things also help others. So thank you for um, letting, talking to the Grief Nation listeners about some of the things that you do to support yourself, because that's so imperative. It's very important for us to understand those things that we can do um, in times where, where life gets hectic, you know. Um, we're not always thinking about, okay, what can I do to um, change um, my daily um, thought pattern, which create these emotions of me feeling, you know, some type of way. But um, mm-hmm. I often tell um, my friends, my family, and I do this for myself or mm-hmm. working with um, Everytown Survivor Network uh, with Survivor Connect. When I talk to some of the survivors, I, say, I tell them, hey, um, develop a self-care plan. I already have something, you know, placed in every room. I have one here in my office. I have one in the kitchen. I have it in my restroom. I have it, you know, b- beside my bed because you don't generally think about what can I do to change my thought at the moment. So if I see this everywhere, you know, it kind of implants in my mind and yeah. then I know what I need to do. If it's something, it's, you know, just as simple as breathing or meditating, like you said, or maybe I can't run right now, but that I can do, that's on my list to make sure I do in the morning. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I really truly appreciate that. Um,
1: can, I, can I add one other thing? Sure, absolutely. I, yeah, so when you're talking about it, I agree with what you're saying 100%. One thing I find, which gives me trouble, right, to get right down to some of the nitty-gritty, if you will,
0: mm-hmm.
1: when something happens out of left field that I don't expect, good or bad, mm-hmm. or bad, could be a little thing, and I, this yeah. is probably PTSD, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I believe I have, uh, yeah. that sets me off more than it should. So, you know, there's a saying, man plans and God laughs, right? Um, so I find those are the challenging times, even now, right? I've been running for 20, 30 years, I've been meditating for five years, but just on a day-to-day basis, right? Sometimes, I, you know, I can't catch it in time. Mm-hmm. And uh, to your point, you know, those things really enable me, even if I go, you know, a little sideways for a little bit of time, to catch myself on a regular basis, right? Because if yeah, we're not good for yeah. ourselves, can't be good for anyone else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and that's real talk because I do believe that I, um, become distracted from the things that I know that is going to support me too. Um, it's days that I will pass simply pass my meditation room knowing that I need to, you know, come in and, you know, um, and, and, and raise my vibration and do all the things that I know are going to support me. But, you know, being a part of, um, being in this club that we didn't don't no one wants to be a part of some days. We just have difficult days. And some days, even though I do have a plan, I can't follow it, but I do remember that it's there. Um, it's in play, you know, because it's in the back of my mind and, and trust me, as quick as I can have a bad thought, I can have a good thought too. Um, it's just kind of getting your mind, um, set on even though I'm having or feeling this sadness and sadness is just the story we tell ourselves. Um, but we can also tell ourselves something good too as well. So, um, thank you you know once again for for sharing that um what are some let's see um how can the community to support you and what's your call to action today
1: yeah so um first in terms of the community support right so it's obvious that the community can support by joining right and it's Mm -hmm. real easy to join mom's demand action you know under the everytown umbrella you know all you, you you can you can just text six four four three three to join, or depending on why you're joining, if you're joining to honor someone, you can text six four four three three, and just text the word honor, right? And what will happen is, uh, every town moms, you know, the organization will reach out to you by text, ask for your zip, and they'll put, you know, you in touch with the local chapter, and there are over four hundred chapters around the country. Um, so the other thing though about it, and, and if I can, here's something that I don't hear, but I see all the time. The great thing about moms and joining the organization, the benefit to anyone who's considering it, or maybe, you know, it's like you. some people dive into a pool, some people got to stick in their big toe first and see how uh, how warm it is, right? So yeah. if you're part of that latter group, here's the great thing about moms. We talked before about all of these uh, professionals, you know, that are there to support you. So, in, in, in your job, you know, maybe you get all of your satisfaction out of your job, maybe you're one of that 10%, whatever it is, but maybe you don't. And if you don't, maybe there are other things you want to do in your life that you want to develop, you want to explore, right? So Moms gives you that ability, right? Whether you want to be a public speaker and you haven't done it before, you want to get over that fear of public speaking. Whether you want to get involved in understanding how government works, legislature. and how laws are passed and stuff whether you want to uh develop your ability in social media maybe you're not you know comfortable with twitter or whatever regardless of what your passion is there's a place where you can uh, learn and develop that even if you're a naive even if you have no background all you need is an interest and there are professionals at moms listen lucy mcbath right she started when i if i understand it correctly you know working with moms after her son jordan was killed and now she is you know, she's a she she she's a, she's a you know she's a member of Congress. Yeah. I mean, you know, what more can you say than that in terms of you're aspiring to continue to develop yourself? Yeah. And you know how much it costs to join Moms in every town? Nothing, it's free. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. So um, if you're feeling it in any way, shape, or form, you know, just just go to a meeting. Just join. Just go to one meeting. And there's other ways you can support us too. In fact, as there is a video here, I'm going to put on a little bit of merch.
0: All right, yes.
1: <laughs> so we you got your every town hat. There are other types. This may not be your style, right? You know, you've got, this is my favorite shirt out of my many. I had to look at all of my shirts, Disarm, Hate. Yeah. One thing you can't buy though, this button, which I don't know if you could see, but it's a survivor button. And, and I don't think there's anyone, you don't want to earn this button, right? If you don't want to be a member of this group in that regard, then I would really suggest you join us because we're growing. You know, we've got over 7 million members in an organization that started in 2012. So we're getting there. You know, the laws are changing to advocate for sensible gun laws. So be a part of it. You know, now is the time. You know, think about how great you're going to feel joining something that's growing like this and doing something that helps all of us. So, you know, yeah, I'll get off the soapbox now. But um, <laughs> that's really what you can do to help us. Just join just go to the site, check it out. Go to one meeting. That's all you got to do.
0: I love your passion, and 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 I've heard you say um, over and over your bride. Uh, it, it's just so amazing how you speak about your wife. I, that's amazing. I love it. I just your yeah. passion behind everything that we've talked about. But what what I keep remembering is when you talk about uh, when you have these come we're us having this conversation, and you say my bride. Yeah. Um, the, the verbiage that you use, the language that you use to describe something is just um, awesome. So thank you so much for, you know, being on the show. Um, you, so you're welcome. So what's next for your journey?
1: You know, that's a great question. You know, part of, so I'm 61. I've probably got five or six years left before I start working full time. right? But I'm at a point in my life where, as opposed to always being goal-oriented, very specific, task-driven, goal-oriented, right? I've been... I'm um, an enterprise sales rep for 28 years after being an illustrator and such. Right now, in general, I'm trying to be more intuitive. So I'm trying to be more aware of things and sort of have them almost come to me. You know, there's this concept that when you're ready for something, it'll present itself. Mm-hmm. So in one respect, I'm keeping it open-ended, right? Um, but on another respect, on a more day-to-day basis, you know, I, I'm, I'm really honored to be an Everytown Fellow this year. Um, and that really gives me the responsibility and the desire to take my story and to, to spread it, to drive additional change in behavior and actions in my community, as well as in, in, in our larger community. And in addition to telling my story, uh, you know, which I've done up until today in, uh, in live scenarios... It's about using other media, and you're doing a great job of it, Miami. I mean, uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to meet with you today. So to really leverage social media, like, as we all are, and to, you know, zoom the heck out of meetings, if you will, right? right. And, uh, you know, use my Twitter handle, um, also write um, letters to editors in different publications and op-eds, and, uh, you know, just look for as many different opportunities as I can to, to share my story, and, um, you know, help it resonate with all of us so that we can really, as we are, you know, reduce, if not, you know, just eliminate the senseless gun violence from our culture. So it's just looking at other platforms, right? Being flexible. You know, this is uh, a challenge, the, 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 the pandemic, but it's also an opportunity, right? Yeah. So it's a question of finding those other releases and being flexible and agile and continuing to grow and explore, you know, through this time. So uh, I wanted that, to... that's our look at it.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I wanted to um, talk about something that would be personal to you. Um, can you share a quote with us?
1: Yeah. So, um, the quote is yesterday history right? it's gone. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today, today is a gift. That's why we call it the present, right? So to live in the moment, Um, And where that quote comes from, for me, is when my father was killed, he left me with a terrible gift. At the age of 17, he left me with the gift of knowing that life can be taken from any of us at any time, at any moment, that we have no control over that, right? So it's really all about today. It's really all about the gift. That's why I call my my bride, (laughs) my bride, you know, I mean, to just try to do everything I can which is not easy to treasure every day for whatever it is. Mm. So.
0: I just, uh, just want to sit there for a second because as you stated, being in the present moment, the mindfulness about it, um, and the way that you explain your father, um, and I heard you say he left you this terrible gift. Ah. Uh, howie you you, Mm. i don't even have anything to say after that besides thank you so much for you know being so vulnerable um and helping even myself and everybody's that's listening that not only do we have this obligation to be able to share our story our way but to be vulnerable and and just let it come out of you however way that that may be um and I love, one of the other reasons why I love doing this because we are all so different in our, um, in how our, our, our tragic loss have affected our lives. Um, we, we are all connected by um, gun violence, but um, each person that I'm interviewing, um, they have such a different outlook and they, their lives has taken or shifted. Um, I must say, into this, like uh, this growing rose plant. You know, it's just, it's turned from this ugly thorn and and out of these thorns into this beautiful, um, very violet, vescent, you know, just it's turned from such this ugly thing to this beautiful thing. And I just so appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing your story. Um, And I'm sure everyone listening to this um, will be able to say, you know what? how he you know touched me in some type of way and i'm going to either do this call to action i'm going to be i'm going to feel better about sharing my story and how i should share it so thank you for coming on the show and, and enlightening us on how we can do that even better um you've definitely given me some ideas uh so leave us with your favorite, mem- no, before you do that, can yeah. you share your, your um, social media platform so people know how to get in contact with you?
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity, sure. So the best way to contact me is really through Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's at Howard Furtig, H-O-W-A-R-D, F is in Frank, E-R is in red, T is in Thomas, I-G, at Howard Furtig. Also, if you wanna see um, uh, my, my, me give my uh, story, share my survivor's story, you can go to YouTube, and you could just google how we fertig the present right uh see previous uh poem if you will or how we furtig the gift and you'll see two examples of that on youtube okay. uh, and i have a youtube page there uh those are the uh, the primary you know ways to to contact me oh, right? Right. Uh, i'm here to you know help anyone in any way i can
0: you're doing an amazing job i tell you that you, you definitely are I, I went to your youtube channel um last evening and um i loved it uh anyway you tell your story any way you share your story um i'm always interested to his, to listen so um Thank you, leave man. us with your favorite memory of your father father yeah.
1: <laughs> so Shelley, sheldon right um my memory of my dad my favorite memory is uh so i worked in the store about four years and uh, we are blessed with having a, a bungalow colony I don't know if that's gonna mean anything to most of the people who listen to this but these little cape band shacks like during the summer if you ever saw the movie um, oh I don't even remember the name of it right now but come to me in 30 seconds like it takes everything. Right. <laughs> but um, it was an hour and a half away in the Hudson Valley upstate New York um, and uh, we would drive up on a Saturday afternoon after work and uh, he had a big Fury 3 sedan, and he would light a cigar. He would turn on the air conditioning. <laughs> he would just crack the window, mm-hmm. you know, like a sixteenth of an inch, like the smallest you <laughs> could, so that supposedly the smoke would leave the car.
2: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: And he would put on an easy listening music station oh. if that means anything to oh, you. Yeah. Imagine your favorite songs done Um, to uh, strings um, Mm -hmm. at at a slow beat that you could not dance to, you know so it just like destroyed the song but he, for whatever reason, loved it and he would start singing, certain songs would come on and, you know, he had a great voice but he had such joy in his voice and he was happy then and when his heart sang like that um, you know, it just made me feel so good it didn't happen often, but it was great that's my favorite memory and it would end when we'd get out of the car and it was like We were on a rock concert stage when they had the the fog machine with the dry ice. You know, this big bellow of smoke would come out of the car whenever we got out of it. It was a big old El Producto cigar. You know, Walk on the Moon is the name of that movie. If anybody wants to know what Bungalow Life is, with Liev Schreiber and Diane Lane, great date movie. Oh,
0: okay. I'll have to definitely check that out. Yeah. Thank you so much, Howie. But before I let you go, I always end my podcast by asking what has your advocacy in your community uncovered that needs greater attention that you'd like to bring further awareness to?
1: Yeah, so here's the deal, just speaking straight, right? I appreciate everything that our elected officials do. It's uh, it's a tough gig, of course. But the town that I live in is primarily Republican, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, thankfully, we have different parties, we have different points of view. But... What's occurred regarding gun violence is that it's being perceived by many and many of our elected officials um, as being a political issue. And it's not, right? Guns, bullets, they don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or an independent or you're unaffiliated or whatever. And I know a lot of gun owners who are family members and who are friends and they all take great pride in the care and the safety they have for their for their guns and this uh, fallacy that uh, gun violence is uh, related to any political party is just nonsense and it needs to be dispelled in any and every way shape and form and it really needs to be dispelled in the following here's one example right getting involved in Moms Demand Action I went to um, an annual meeting last year that had 2000 people there and I spoke to other members just like us all over the country and what they basically said, what I heard them say was that politicians in some ways are just like everybody else, they want to keep their job or they want to get a better job. And the way they do that is by having people vote for them. So in districts that may be red, but where Moms Demand Action has a presence, right? And they are engaged, as you said before Miami, with our elected officials, right? Yeah. if if, if, they, if, people, if politicians feel you got their back on this issue they'll vote you know mm-hmm. to, uh, to add for, for sensible gun laws but if we're not out there if they're not going to have the votes they're not gonna it's that simple yeah. so you know regardless of where we live we need to make our voices continue to make our voices heard and uh, continue to get the satisfaction we get from helping making uh, this country a safer country mm-hmm. for all of our behalfs So that's it.
0: Thank you so much, Howie, um, for coming on the show, for sharing your story, um, for being, like I said, so vulnerable with us and, and giving us some great information um, about the statistical information and sharing just your joys about your father and your family and where you are now. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure, Miami. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for the great work that you're doing and have a great rest of the day.
0: You too. Well, there you have it, Grief Nation listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another transformative segment of It's the Miami Night Show, Grief Talk. Today, we give thanks, filled with love and gratitude, for our special guest, Howie Furtick, for expressing your very unique grief journey and sharing ways of understanding the healing process. This is your girl, Miami Night, with much love and light until we connect again spiritually. Bye-bye.